Let me sort of do this. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, we're, yeah, I think we're live. Are we? Can we hear you? Can you hear me? I can hear you really well. Can, can you hear? Okay. You sound great. I think I can hear you. You sound really good. Do you? Hello. Do I? All right. So, you're on the control room right now. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. And, uh, yeah, there's Dave. There you are right now. <laughs> <laughs> with your bottle of whiskey you look like a or scotch you look like pap from a uh, huck finn you do exactly i know so you're joining me here tonight right. and uh i can see if anybody's watching um but it doesn't appear that anybody is so yeah this is the stream oh thank you very much yeah yesterday was your birthday it was a big day happy birthday thank you yeah i know this is so, uh, I, I've never had a, uh, I haven't had a guest on this show since 2011. You know what my last, who my last uh, guest was, I think? Probably me. Was, uh, no, actually, no, you have been on this show a few times, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah no, you have. Two or three times. Well, I think the last, I, I think Kevin Van Hining, I interviewed him. Oh, that would have been a good one. Yeah, and I interviewed Jonathan Sweat. Oh, remember uh, Mark Trammell? Yeah. Yeah, you remember Mark. He was, was the uh We did that one at Batwell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was back in 2011. So really, yeah. It's so weird cuz like um every podcast in the in the history of the world does does interviews. Like that's what all the podcast channels who tell you about how to do your podcast. That's what they want you to do is Literally, like, yeah. you know, they want you to have exciting guests. That's usually like the number one advice they they give you is just have exciting guests. Like, if you want an exciting podcast, you got to have exciting guests. And, like, I. You're not exciting on your own. I know. I'm not exciting enough on my own. I have nothing interesting to say, apparently. That reminds me of those old stupid uh, English. um, (laughs) (laughs) English class things where they'd say, like, no, you're not qualified to actually write criticisms Mm -hmm. of literature, Mm -hmm. but you have to, like, take other people's criticisms from these books and. Put them into your own words, yeah. but also don't plagiarize. It's like, mm-hmm. well, I don't really know what the hey I'm doing at this point. <laughs> I mean, what am I supposed to do? Did they, did they teach you? When did you learn about plagiarizing? About um, I uh, heard, the first time I ever heard about it was um, some teacher was like, uh, I was probably in about seventh grade or something. We had mm-hmm. to write these uh, book reports, mm-hmm. and some kid and I didn't know how to write a book report. Mm-hmm. I never even heard of a, really what that meant. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I just went to the library and copied down the book. Yeah, you know, in something of an abbreviated way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, the teacher was a couple of days later. The teacher was um, reading them and just started just attacking some kid for plagiarizing. It's like plagiarizing. So and you never heard that word before then? No. Uh-uh. Okay. Um, I don't even know what the root word of that is. <laughs> um, but anyway, they um, the teacher was going nuts about this kid, and I'm like. Oh crap! I did the same thing. <laughs> so, uh, so, like, yeah, as a as a teacher, it's really really difficult to uh, actually teach what plagiarizing is, mm-hmm. because a lot of kids they hear that term uh, because it's really hard to say it in a way that makes it sound innocuous. Like it's a really yeah. bad word. You you it's like hearing the c word for the first time. Uh-huh. You don't know what it means, but you know it's bad, right? Plagiarize. It's yeah. Like, oh my God, that, this sounds like you could go to jail. Yeah, exactly. So, um, is that, you? Is that? It's me, but the thing's not lighting up. Oh, weird. 
Um, yeah. So uh, a student uh, of mine asked me, you know, really what I consider plagiarizing. And I was like, well, that plagiarizing is simply taking somebody else's uh thoughts and words and putting them into your own oh. and they're like well i mean clearly i'm not going to be writing original thoughts and yeah. i said well that's the idea hopefully you are and he says well what if i write somebody's what if i write my own thoughts down and they turn out to be somebody else's i know see that was the thing yeah. it was always such, there was a lot of conflict with that because mm -hmm. you know the uh the whole thing was like if i'm if i'm not qualified to have my own mm -hmm. thoughts as mm -hmm. per that teacher yeah all I can do is take these other people's thoughts. Yeah. And so I just know it was always a disconnect with what she was asking. It just sounded like hmm. it sounded like she was saying, disguise your shit enough <laughs> to where nobody can tell. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know what she was asking. I don't know. Well, I, you know, I just uh, I told my student, that's a really good point you have. What if, what if you put thoughts down and they turn out to be somebody else's? And most likely it's really difficult. Uh, the further we get into human history to have original thoughts. Um, mm -hmm. But if that happens, if, if, if the, if you write down somebody's thoughts and they turn out uh, that, you know, and you don't know that there's somebody else's thoughts, then that's not plagiarizing. Okay. That's just like, you know, interpreting the world in a similar way that somebody else has. But if you take somebody's exact words and put them down on a paper and pass them in as your own, that is mm -hmm. plagiarizing. There's no getting around it. And then the student, being a student, said, um, you know, well, what if I accidentally write somebody else's exact words down and I know it? <laughs> well, it's funny because, I mean, we've had so many exact words written down, it's easy to get close. That 700 it, monkeys typing on 700 typewriters thing. Yeah, but you've only got, you know, 20 monkeys that you're teaching. And uh, yeah. you know, most likely, yeah, if you ask them to write a paper about, um, you know, technology in Fahrenheit 451 they're they're not going to come up with anything original but they are going to make the same exact spelling mistakes and grammar mistakes and things like that um right so and uh yeah so it's really like in my English class I I kind of taught uh I I told the the students that plagiarism is the same as pornography I, I'll know it when I see it mm, so yeah well, right. happens in music too um, right there's only so many chords and so many notes right like what are some famous uh like pink floyd didn't they steal where, where are you telling me about oh, man. pink floyd like accidentally stole something from someone i don't know uh george harrison famously had a, mm -hmm. a song called my sweet ward mm -hmm. that um somehow he was like sued successfully by was it the supremes or something something like that yeah. uh for uh he's so fine with a, oh, my sweet Lord. Beep, beep, beep. and see, that's that's so interesting fine. to me because that you could almost like argue that that's like parody or satire or something, well, which is like something that the Beatles were known, known to do. Right? Yeah, well, it's, you, uh, know. you know, somehow they were able to prove in court and mm -hmm. he actually came up with another song mm -hmm. kind of in a little bit of a answer to that called this song. And yeah. It was on like the maybe early mid 70s or something, mm -hmm. but um. Yeah, that was that was a, a situation where that happened. Uh, Led Zeppelin gets um, lots and lots of uh, mm -hmm. accusations of plagiarizing. Yeah. Um, they stole from the old bluesman quite a bit. The old bluesman. Yeah, the old blues persons. <laughs> um, they stole all kinds of stuff uh -huh. and to the point where they had to go back and on 
on uh, subsequent releases of albums include the blues person's name mm-hmm. along with theirs for the writing credits. Yeah. All kinds of riffs, things like that. Yeah. Even Stairway to Heaven, even though they didn't win the case, but uh, a group called Spirit uh, mm-hmm. sued Led Zeppelin for stealing the beginning to Stairway to Heaven. Okay. Um, and when you hear Spirit sing, it's like, yeah, that's, that's kind of it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But then it's also like, a very common musical kind of a thing that dates back to like Bach and Beethoven and and whatnot. So you know, music's recycled quite a bit. Yeah, it's very odd. Like, when do you call something an homage, and when do you call it, you know, just know. plain ripping off? Like, I know Vanilla Ice very famously tried to say that he was not at all inspired. <laughs> by david bowie and queen's baseline for under, under pressure, pressure. Yeah, but he had that one extra beat <laughs> that, that that completely boom, made it boom, different boom, 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 boom. he had boom 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 something like that but somehow, and it is completely different i guess technically yeah, well <laughs> it was enough to where like somehow he had to like end up buying the rights to uh mm-hmm. under pressure right Oh, but, did he really? I didn't know that. But uh, and I'm not. I'm not sure the whole story. But boo hoo hoo! Now I own the rights to Queens Under Pressure. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know he must actually have made a pretty good living off it because that that song uh, has been used in countless movie trailers, commercials. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, people know Under Pressure a lot more than they did when. Vanilla Ice, yeah. I think, probably released that song, because yeah, that I I know that Under Pressure wasn't really necessarily an obscure song, uh-huh. but it wasn't played like on the radio, and it wasn't a big like radio hit, and then, mm-hmm. and then it, around the mid early two thousands, it started to be used in everything. It was like um, Baba O'Reilly by the Who. It was just used in like mm-hmm. commercials, movie trailers. And uh, it suddenly became like very overplayed. Yeah, oh, you know, yeah, yeah. like yeah, a lot on, of classic it was rock. On their, uh, their greatest hits. Um, what Bob O'Reilly? No, uh, Under Pressure. Oh, Under Pressure. Queen's yeah. Greatest Hits. Yeah, and it was. It's one of those ones where mm-hmm. Queen's a really awesome greatest hits band, <laughs> but a deep dive into Queen can be trying. <laughs> yeah, I kind of feel like Queen is one of those uh, bands that everybody like sort of knows, like ten songs. When they're on, they're on. Well, it's yeah. like Credence Clearwater Revival. It's the same exact thing. Yeah. I mean, they have... Everybody that I knew in high school had Credence Clearwater Revival's like best of CD mm-hmm. with like 15 songs on it. Yeah. And uh, any additional Credence is really like not really required. Uh, you kind of get the... <laughs> it's like... And I think it's just because, yeah, it's like you hear those... I mean... They're 15 songs, but they're 15 monster hits. Yeah, I, I got I got interested the other day in like John Cougar Mellencamp's back back catalog. Mm-hmm. Like, what are some John Mellencamp songs I have not heard? There's not I a know, lot I of feel them. The same about Lee Greenwood. <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of them. They're just like. I right, so here's something interesting that I found out. Okay, um, so. Off, tra- off track. So uh, John Cougar Mellencamp uh, was one of the guys who founded Farm Aid. Yeah. Like back in the mid 90s. Mm-hmm. So I think 1990. Mid 80s. Mid 80s. Farm Aid. I think they had, they had like Farm Aid and Live Aid. I think those were like. Uh, those are like the same time. Like kinda, maybe 85, 86. Okay. Explain to me how this makes sense. Um, 
the Jerry Lewis telethon, one show, one one year made sixty million dollars. The Jerry Lewis telethon, mm-hmm. sixty million dollars, one telethon. Mm-hmm. I was looking on Wikipedia the other day. It said that since Farm Aid's first show, I guess this must have been in the mid '80s, all the way up until t- 2023, and they do this like every year. Mm-hmm. It, it's raised sixty million dollars. Sixty million dollars in like forty years. Wow. Versus wow. like sixty million dollars for one Jerry Lewis telethon. Yeah, my guess is uh. Is, is country musicians do a lot of coke <laughs> that's what i'm saying it's like 60 million dollars i mean like well, it's not really a telethon i don't think people call in and donate do but they? it's not but it's still you think in 40 years they would have made like more money yeah, than like, uh, 10 million a year yeah 60 million in 40 years is nothing well, me, they should me, be ashamed of themselves yeah let me let me uh let me ask something yeah is, is that something they do every year because i'm completely unaware of i don't know do they do farm aid every year maybe I, not maybe 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 i was wrong I, I only re- I only yeah. remember it like when I was a tiny little kid. And yeah. Being a, like it became like really cool for all the rock and roll guys to yeah. like, get together and have some kind of cause like mm-hmm. eating African kids or um. Stop it. Or having hands across America. And yeah. Like that. This will be a good time to test the uh, browser here. Yeah, okay. And uh, Farm Aid kind of came along. They had I guess the more sort of a. Uh, Heart of America styled musicians, maybe yeah. Bruce Springsteen, John Cougar Mellencamp was like prime yeah. material for that. So they still do Farm Aid, yeah. This year it's uh, really September twenty third, twenty twenty three. So it's coming up. Who's all in it now? Um, I don't know. Um, is that that's Willie Nelson? Oh my god! It's in Nobleville, Indiana. Because yeah, John Cougar Mellencamp lives in Indiana. Yeah, he's, he was always famously um, from Indiana. Yeah. Um, I, I the lineup. No idea. They, this used to be big news, like a, a, a yeah. big new. Also, you know, a shuttle launch was big. <laughs> I know it, it would be like them having a live aid every year. Uh, okay, so Willie Nelson and family, Neil Young, John Mellencamp, Dave Matthews. Ooh, I know who's not going to be there. Who? We we lost. Um, oh, Jimmy Buffett. Jimmy Buffett. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine working in a Mexican restaurant tonight? Ooh, Lord. Anywhere in America? Oh my God! That <laughs> That's be terrible. Margarita kicks in. No. Oh it would be like all the Cinco de Mayo's from the last eight years <laughs> put together. Okay, so um, I can't say I know another Jimmy Buffett song. Uh, so there's Margaritaville, there's Cheeseburger in Paradise. Oh, okay. That, that's, that's, um, it's five o'clock somewhere. Is that a Jimmy Buffett song or is that just a quote he has? I don't know. Cause he has like a lot of quotes. Oh, he does. Yeah. So how much has Farm Made made over the years? Um, Mike's looking on the uh, internet. (laughs) They can see it. Oh yeah. Yeah. And nobody's watching this. Okay. Okay. Look at this. Since 1985, Farm Aid has raised more than $70 million. That's all. Like, charity's charity, but that's kind of ridiculous. That's not a lot of money at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you think since, and I, assuming they've done it every year, yeah. you think it'd be at least $10 million a year. Yeah, I know. And, I mean, like, that's what I'm saying is that, like, I, I heard a statistic the other day that, like, in one Jerry Jerry. Lewis Telethon, he used to do those telethons were for kids with um, muscular dystrophy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
yeah, like, I mean, he, he would raise, I mean, this is just people watched, watching television calling in in one day made $60 million. And over the course of 40 years, since 1985, um, where's all that money going? Because I know that they charge tickets. A lot of people pay to go to this thing. Um, I'm not sure. People call in. You can donate on the website and all that stuff. Like, the money has got to be going, I guess, to pay for the musicians who you would think would not take the money. They would do it for free. Like, that's what happened with Live Aid. No, yeah, nobody yeah. made any money from yeah, Live Aid. I think it would be like, a, you know, maybe a... Mm-hmm. You know, we'll pay your travel and expenses, and maybe right. a, a little bit of a, a love offering yeah. or something. But um, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I, I, yeah, <laughs> but I I just thought that that was a uh, like an a, an offensively paltry sum of money. It is. It is. <laughs> I, I'd like to imagine all the farmers kind of lined up in their overalls, saying with their hats in their hands. Saying, Where's our money? Thank you, Willie. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Mellencamp. <laughs> I need new tires. Yeah, I, I heard an interview that John Mellencamp did like a couple weeks ago with uh, Bill Maher. And uh, John Mellencamp made Bill Maher uh, seem like Santa Claus, like the, have the positivity of Santa Claus. John Mellencamp is probably the most cynical person I've ever heard. Really? He literally said that like he doesn't believe that anything at all that the government says. And Bill Maher is just like, well, wait a second. Oh, my Lord. He's like, you know, Bill Maher's argument that is that like, you know, 90% of the government is like pencil pushing nerds that just sit behind desks in cubicles and they eat bad pizza and uh, they just crunch numbers all day long. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and, and like, you know, so the government, it's impossible for them to like, I mean, they probably lie and they probably like smudge the facts sometimes. But generally with like things like, you know, highway, highway death statistics, you know, mm-hmm. like the, the amount of people that died on the highways last Labor Day and things like that. Mm-hmm. The government compiles all that data and it's probably they're, they're not lying to you about about that. And John Cougar Mellencamp's like, no, no, they're lying to you about that. <laughs> yeah, it was really. Yeah. But I, I looked up John Cougar Mellencamp and, and the guy is like 70 years old. Um, he's been married or been in relationships like eight or nine times. Um, he's got like five kids, which is fine. I mean, it's normal to have five children, but, uh, you know, but he lives on a 70 acre, uh, you know, estate in Indiana, completely blocked off from, from, you know, all of humanity. Mm -hmm. Like he never really sees the normal world at all. Um, you know, but he sings about it a lot. So there was a, um, yeah. there was a, he, he was a, a voice back in the day. I mean, he was kind of had a, you know, sort of a mm-hmm. prideful, you know, outlook of, about the yeah. positivity in America. I hate that it's turned into such a, um, yeah, you know, such a negative kind of a cynicism. Well, he, uh, he, he told the story that Barack Obama asked him to play. Like he, he played at Barack Obama's inauguration, uh, back in 2008. Mm-hmm. And, uh, a couple years later, you know, Barack Obama's president for a couple of years, and um, he asked John Cougar Mellencamp to play at some campaign rally that he's having for, like, 2012. Mm-hmm. Mellencamp refuses because he says that Barack Obama is not liberal enough. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, apparently, like, John Cougar Mellencamp is, like, left of Stalin. 
Um, <laughs> that's like that is that was that was kind of amazing to me. But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Such a, a, a cool vibe, you know. Mm-hmm. He, he, his song lyrics always evoke kind of this, mm-hmm. um, you know, look back to a more simpler America. Yeah, and just like didn't we have it great back in the old days? I'm not sure what his old days were. Sixties. <laughs> They were same same thing as Brian Adams, kind of summer of '69. Yeah, well, here's what I think Mellencamp's uh, entire career boils down to. I think that he was a child of the '60s. He was uh, raised by an incredibly wealthy family in Indiana. He came from no poverty. He was not Jack and Diane. Oh, okay. And I I think he his his dad was. an executive for, you know, a major company. I forgot what, what his dad did, but his, ex- his dad was a, a major, uh, an executive for a major company um, in the 1960s. And so he grew up in great privilege. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that or anything, mm-hmm. but, but I think that he was um, very much just like a guy who was, you know, rebelling in the 60s because it was kind of the trendy, cool thing to do. Um, and I think, like, he realized that um, there was a niche in rock music that he could fill mm-hmm. in the late 80s following the success of, like, Bruce Springsteen. Maybe more in the uh, early 80s. Well, yeah, early 80s. But I think, like, what happened was is that Bruce Springsteen had kind of come out and created the sort of, like, uh, you know, guy, like, the, the uh, you know, I don't know rock. rock. Don't this blue collar. Yeah, rock uh, punk blue collar. We're all getting together at the bar after work. After yeah, we're off at the mill. But also very much singing about like post Vietnam, um, you know, cynicism. Mm-hmm. You know, with your government and kind of trying to like Bruce Springsteen's music is very much evocative of uh, kind of like lost optimism and things like that. And I think John Cougar Mellencamp filled this filled this niche. He saw this like area that he could like uh you know uh, fill mm-hmm. um he was like i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of appeal to people who like bruce springsteen but i'm gonna give people more a little bit more hope and and i think that that's like i think that's what what mellencamp had to offer and i think he was to a to an extent the genuine article mm-hmm. but unlike springsteen he wasn't as strong of a a, a songwriter he didn't have as strong of a band backing him up. Um, and I think he was kind of a one trick pony. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, it was a great thing that he did found, founding Farm Aid. You know, he obviously attached himself to issues the same way Springsteen did. But when I kind of look back on Mellencamp, I, I sort of see him as just this poor one trick pony imitation. I might be wrong. Of Springsteen. About this, um... Uh, and it might be Bruce Springsteen, but I think it was John Cougar Mellencamp mm-hmm. that actually had the first uh, MTV video that was shot on 35 millimeter film. Which one was it? Um, the one about USA. <laughs> <laughs> R-O-C-K in the USA? Uh, probably, I, uh, I don't know <laughs> what the, the song titles. I don't even know yeah. what the song. Is it Jack and Diane? Is that a song yeah, Jack and Diane's a song. Um, yeah, it's one of those ones, and I, and I might be wrong about that. Look it up and uh-huh. check me on on that because it might be Bruce Springsteen. Okay, but I think it was John Cougar Mellencamp. Yeah, and it's a cool video if I remember. Just sort of, it, it reminds me of just some sort of like a, a '70s National Geographic, you know, maybe around the bicentennial. Yeah. So is and it? It's like a look at you know, life across America kind of. A okay. Thing. Um, so like, Jack and Diane. 
Um, I don't think it's going to be Jack and Diane. It's probably no. going to be something like whichever one has little pink houses in it. Oh, yeah. that <laughs> The song is called Little Pink Houses. Oh, that was an MTV Pro Bowl back in the day. Oh, really? Um, was it? They, the MTV apparently was going to give away like a, a pink house. <laughs> really? Just to people that wrote in. Yeah. And then throw a, like fly all your friends in. And John <laughs> Cougar Mellencamp was going to like play at, in your front yard. Seriously? And I think the idea was that... Um, they, they ended up building all that on like a, a super fun site or something because the land. <laughs> There's some kind of controversy about that, but so they built video. a pink house on top of like a, yeah, on top and, of a bunch of pollution and everything. Some kind of like I don't know, skateboarding kid won it. Really? Oh man, look at that! Oh yeah, it is. look how beautiful that video is. Mike's looking at a. Um, oh wait a second! Oh, I'm also playing Warren Zevon at the same time. He's also. So. The music doesn't quite fit the imagery of a confused guy on a front porch with Warren Zevon, but uh, it kind of works in its own artistic way. Yeah. Yeah. So. so really yeah. When I hear this song in the radio, I don't really think about like an old sharecropper guy. Yeah, he's a real confused. And on a porch, it's like almost Stanley Kubrick levels of. Confusion. So, so they played this on MTV. Dude, yes, absolutely they did. Can you imagine MTV Dude. today showing a video? Showing no, this video with like an old old African American man sitting on a porch while He's some white guy bridge. sings about him. Look at that train go by. Yeah, I know. Um Yeah, they 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 shot that. That was a you know, kind of a large mm-hmm. budget video that mm-hmm. had Great production quality because early yeah. MTV videos were almost like the the remnants and artifacts of the editing process that they just kind of jumbled together with some chroma key and right. whatnot. And uh, this is kind of a little step into some narrative and mm-hmm. you know some kind of a, a bit of a cinematic message and look. Yeah, you know some kind of a lifestyle that's long gone. You know, um, a little bit of probably. Probably even like a uh, Thomas Kincaid look at America. I was going to say because, yeah, Thomas Kincaid was a guy who kind of like Mellencamp really saw uh, a whole uh, a whole niche that needed to be filled of just people who were really nostalgic for times gone by. Oh, yeah, even if the times were kind of fictitious. But... Exactly. They didn't care if it was fictitious. They just wanted it really bad. Yeah, there's only a couple right. of old days I really... I mean, I want to mm-hmm. see every old day I can in a Bill and Ted kind of a way where I see it for a <laughs> few hours and then split. But living in the old days, there's only a couple of old days I really want to live in. Right. And the, that would be from, like, 78 to about 82. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't, I don't know because oh look, he's like just two stepping. He looks like he's in the Wizard of Oz. He does, he? like the poppy. That was yeah. Interstate sixty five that they just showed. Well, look yeah, at that. So that's 60, probably, oh, that's that, in Gary, Indiana. One hundred percent Indiana. Indiana. It's so weird to me that you can jump on I sixty five in Birmingham, Alabama, and be in Gary, Indiana, in like about six, seven hours. Yeah, about, yeah. Mean, yeah. It goes almost. It, it doesn't yeah. go to Chicago, but it gets you pretty close. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it it one hundred percent. I think it actually does take you all the way to Chicago. Might, you may might. with the w- about five miles out of Chicago, you may switch to another interstate. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it follows Highway thirty one. Right. Um. Basically, basically, it mirrors Highway thirty one, but mm-hmm. it takes you out of the small towns. Which is a lot of what this song is about. Yeah. Sort of the, uh, you know, 
we're losing, you know, the small towns lost, you know, got lost when the uh, interstates were built. Yeah, I know. And I, I love that. I love that story. It really does fascinate me so much. Oh, look at that guy. I know. He's so like he's on MTV shuffle, just like for two hours in a row. <laughs> <laughs> trouble shuffle. Yeah, that mullet that John Cougar Mellencamp has. So he's kind of like saving everybody. He's sort of like, look at this. We can get our small town life back. All you need is like a little rock and roll. He dresses like the Fonz, too. Yeah. yeah. That. He doesn't wear a leather jacket that I'm aware of, but he has a white t-shirt and mm-hmm. jeans. I like yeah. his guitar, though. Yeah. And his, his sunglasses. He's, he's sassy, isn't he? <laughs> he's very sassy. Look at everybody dancing at that gas station. You know, he uh, he dated uh, Christy Brinkley for a while. He did? Didn't everybody do that? I, I think so, but he dated her late. Like, I mean, like I'm talking about like in 2010 or oh, something. Okay. They were dating. She always seemed nice. Yeah, she did, didn't she? Christy Turlington was always my fave, but <laughs> Christy Brinkley seemed fun and nice. Yeah. She was like the fantasy girl on vacation, which is another trip across America. Exactly. I think oh, um, man, there it goes. I think with the uh, the bicentennial, um, everybody kind of had this reawakening of like Americana. Yeah, you know they kind of saw it slipping away a little bit. Mm-hmm. It was a really good chance to appreciate it, right? And, Very much. Um, you kind of see that for a few years. And, yeah, and, you know a lot of like like Life magazine or National Geographic would just sort of show like often in sort of a little bit more melancholy way like here's right. here's a once great town but it's really kind of having some hard times mm-hmm. look at the pollution blah 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 here's the factory you know yeah and it's kind of an awesome god i love looking through old national geographics yeah so uh paul uh mccray is hey, watching us right now i like paul yeah, he was commenting on the video we were watching. Oh, just really? Now. Has he seen it? Was he familiar with it? I, I, I'm sure he is. Can I don't he know. call in? Uh, I don't know if he can call in or not. Call in. We'll put you on speakerphone, Paul. <laughs> he said Dave would have been totally into Bob's beauties in the glory days of The Price is Right. Oh, I, you know, they were, they were a little too much for me, but I know what he's talking about. I, I, I know what he's talking about. Uh, didn't he, like sleep with some of bob's beauties probably i met vanna white once at the world of wheels oh was she super nice to you she was nice i mean she was she was as nice <laughs> as somebody can just kind of be to a little kid you know in a line to get vanna white's autograph but she yeah. autographed a little thing that was some kind of like vitamin supplement or something oh really like that she was also kind of <laughs> so it was a little advertisement sort of thing that she autographed i, I probably still have it someplace mm-hmm and somewhere I have the Birmingham Batman's autograph. Oh, are you serious? Yeah. Oh, that's right. I, you told I, me that I whole story. With him one day. Tell the people that story. Uh, the Birmingham Batman was a guy who was on That's Incredible. Yeah, That's Incredible mm-hmm. or Real People or something. And mm-hmm. he um, he had this souped up pimp car mm-hmm. that he drove around saving people in. He would like, if you were broken down on the side of the road in Birmingham and he yeah. saw you, he'd pull over and you know give you a ride give you drinks he had a drink machine that had shastas in yeah. it and uh and so he'd give you a drink and cool you off and get you where you're going but the car was like this tripped out thing and yeah. there was a artari in it and a megaphone and, and all kinds of stuff yeah and big there was like a home stereo kind of just ramrodded into the console <laughs> And uh, one day I was in uh, Homewood with my buddy Eric Thomas. We were in sixth grade, and he pulled into the... Uh, we'd seen him several times around town. We are like, oh, my God, look at that car. Because, you know, we'd never seen art cars like that before. But um, mm-hmm. we uh, we saw him pull into the gas station. His name was Willie. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, Willie, not Loman, but uh, no, no. Uh, but it, but we can't. We ran over to him, and and you know, I was familiar enough with him, and you know, he's a friendly guy, and I'd seen him on TV, and so we said, "Hey, how are you?" Mm-hmm. And he said, "Hey," and it's like, "Can we ride around in the car?" And so he rode us around mm-hmm. the block. And, and, you know, we were a block away from our house, so we pulled in front. The thing had, like, sirens and lights. So, of course, everybody in the neighborhood came out when he pulled up, you know, because we'd jump in strangers' cars to ride around, of course. And so all the parents were sending their kids away like in man, this car. A man just pulled up and just in his Batmobile and just said, hop on in, kids. That's what that, well, we said. Can we jump in with you? And so... uh and so he rode all of us around, Tim Rocks, uh, Sean, um, Elizabeth, and me, and uh, Eric Thomas. So we all just rode in. I sat in the front seat, and I talked through the megaphone. And um, he ended up, uh, he gave us all, like, signed autograph things with a bunch, they were just Xeroxes with some photos and a bunch of typed-out facts about him. Like, the Birmingham Batman car has this, 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 and just all that kind of stuff. And he signed it for us, and took off it's almost like meeting a lone ranger and he gives you a silver bullet but uh so we um i took that autograph to school the next day to prove that i rode with the batman and um he ended up i don't know six months a year later he ended up uh dying in his garage yeah, I think it was... Uh, he left his car running? I don't think uh, it was a suicide. It kind of did sound like a suicide, like yeah, because the story that I heard is that he was, um, um, you know, I, I think it's on the Birmingham Wiki. I, I think mm-hmm. it just basically says he was found dead in his garage. Yeah, where the the engine yeah. was running yeah. and uh, the fumes overcame him. Right. There's a that's incredible piece on. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm putting on, that on, on right now, actually. Oh, okay. So yeah, here's the that's incredible piece. Yeah, this is a really big deal. Um, and, and a funny thing about the Birmingham Batman's cars, it's got all these stickers on it that tells you about all the chicks he picked up, and they're like one sweet chocolate Yolanda and stuff like that. There's like tons <laughs> of them on there, like. Like the Velvet Machine Wanda or whatever, you know, be. Well, he's kind of a Randy fellow too. <laughs> so yeah, when I when I was like a kid, I really wanted to be Batman, and I just thought it would be so cool to just kind of run around like Batman and solve crimes. And uh, I never really understood the sort of underlying idea of Batman of the actual value he could give you, other than just being like a good moral person. But what Batman tries to teach you is like financial advice, really. Like that's what the comics are about. Like they, it's like yeah, save up money and you can be like Bruce Wayne and you can have all this freedom to do whatever you want to do. Oh, okay. So Bruce Wayne is kind of like a prototypical Dave Ramsey. Oh, um, yeah. That's about the most unique, unplagiarized take I've ever heard. I could write a paper about it, but like yeah, when but but what what. Look, that's I-65. I know it is, yeah, but what he's really teaching that's you, though... That's what that Eddie Murphy head was photographed mm-hmm. right around there. But yeah, what what Birmingham Batman is so cool about is, like, this is how you... Kids, this is how you become Batman when you're when you're an adult. You just, you know, ride around and help people. Mm-hmm. And that's just, you know, did. give them some gas and... He was, yeah, he was awesome. He rode around with, with extra gas and jumper mm-hmm. cables and... Mm-hmm. You know, like a tire pump and then also like an Atari and a cooler and a big stereo and a PA and siren. It makes me so sad that um, you they, that the Birmingham Batmobile died with him because this would be such an amazing it thing was, to just it, be uh, preserved. It, I think it was you, preserved. 
Oh, what? Where? It was at the fairgrounds for forever, and I have pictures of <gasps> oh, it. Oh, I remember you. But then they moved okay. it to Old Car Heaven, where I'm not sure where it is now, but I think it's still at Old Car Heaven. Old Car Heaven, like the bar? Yeah, it's oh, a bar down by the railroad tracks. It's not um, still the. I thought. That, did that place close down? Is uh, it still there? I'm sure this vehicle exists. This okay. vehicle does not. Um, has yeah. not been lost. Now, I actually did some work with that guy, the guy that's on TV right Frank now. Frank Day. He called me about shooting something, and Brian shot it for me. Uh -huh. It was something like, and this was like two, like maybe six, seven years ago. Yeah. And I didn't know anything about him, but, uh, um, so, you know, we shot the piece. It was a little corporate film thing. And, uh, later I was watching this, and it's like, wait a minute, is that him? Because I saw him in the piece that I was editing. Mm -hmm. And so I emailed him. It's like, hey, I just was watching this weird question, <laughs> but he was like, yeah, that's me. That, that was my family. He he worked. He we we loved him. We, he worked at our our company, and it was like, well, that's kind of cool because I you know I told a little story to him, and it was just yeah. kind of a cool little thing that yeah, just the weirdness of this crazy city. Man, Wayne Cox. Do you know him? Uh no, but I bet I know somebody that does. Where um, is Fire Station Number Seven? Where is that? Uh, I don't know. My granddad yeah. was in, in the ones in Inslee, which I think was sixteen. But, it's uh, so crazy, you know, because there has been so little. Oh, I know where that is. That's at um late uh Green Springs. That's this Green Springs yeah. Avenue. Yeah, there is. I used to live right over there. There is so little. Uh, video that exists of Birmingham on a national scale, but, but you know what I mean. But but there is uh, some if you, if you were to watch like Stay Hungry. Yeah, well that's what I'm saying. Like There's that. like Stay Hungry. Uh, oh, Paul said okay, and I I knew that this was right. So Old Car Heaven is now Ghost Train. Okay, I thought so because I actually went to Ghost Train the other night, and mm -hmm. I remember uh, I, I was thinking about Old Car Heaven, but. Uh, um, I, I never went to Old Car Heaven. Yeah, we went to the... the um, but I kind the, of knew an idea of where it was. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and I, I never go to bars and breweries in Birmingham. Yeah, so, um, Except when I'm like, you know, just with friends playing trivia and things like that, mm -hmm. but, which happens very rarely. Um, but yeah, so... Um, yeah, so, Paul, to the best of your knowledge, is the Birmingham Batman car at ghost train i doubt it does last time i saw it was there but it was at the fairgrounds for forever and right. you could drive up and see it in a window and i yeah. have photos of it there and i have some photos of it at old car heaven mm -hmm. uh as of where it is right now uh mm -hmm. i don't know but i know they didn't throw it away right i mean they're just not gonna do that yeah I, what an incredible piece of folk oh uh, man yeah is. paul said no it's not there anymore um i i bet if you contacted um the people who had old car heaven, they'd, they'd know where it is. John Morse might know. John Morse probably does. John Morse knows everything. Um, yeah. Uh, John, John Morse yeah. will likely know where it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, um, they should, um, they should put it in the Smithsonian. Really. <laughs> or at least in the Alabama sports hall of fame or the, like, uh, we have some museums here. The Birmingham Art Museum. Oh my God! Should yeah. put it there. Totally. It'd be nice. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Put it there with all the, uh, with all the art and things like that. Why not? Is the control but, chair still there? I don't know, but yeah, that that like yeah, Stay Hungry is fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. When you watch that movie, Stay Hungry from like 
1975 or something yeah, like that. Jeff Bridges, Sally Field, Arnold Schwarzenegger. The yeah. Terminator. Arnold Schwarzenegger won like a Golden Globe for it. Really? Uh, he did. He won a, a Golden Globe for like most promising newcomer. Wow. Well, they yeah. were right about that. Yeah. <laughs> they were totally right about that. Yeah, I know. I knew what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, Better than amazing. Hercules in New York. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for the party. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's amazing to me uh, because nobody knows anything about Stay Hungry, but it was it was made by the same people who made Easy Rider, not oh, Dennis, not Dennis Hopper, but like the same company who also made Head. I As love a matter of fact, did, did you know that? I didn't know that. Yeah, it was the same company that made well, Head. Well, Jack Nicholson, yeah, had a big part in Head, and he was an Easy Rider, right? So, uh, yeah, but it's made by um, oh gosh, what was the name of the company? Um, I can't remember, but. Uh, yeah, it was like Bob Rafelson directed it. He was the same guy who directed like five easy pieces mm-hmm. with Nicholson. And uh, Stay Hungry was kind of the movie that ruined the company. Really? So this is, yeah, it was. Um, That's that big old house. Up a movie that they wanted to make. And it, it just. Star Wars font. <laughs> but they made it from a novel and it just turned out to be a gigantic flop because nobody wants to see a movie about weightlifters in Birmingham, Alabama. But. Um. Yeah, it had Jeff Bridges right after he was off of, like, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Sally Field, like, right before she did Norma Ray. Oh, really? And Robert right England. After, uh, yeah. Right after Smoking the Bandit, wasn't it? It was. Well, no, no, yeah. right before Smoking the Bandit. Okay, a couple yeah. of years before. Yeah. When was it, 73? Oh, God, no, like, 75. Okay, Smoking the Bandit was, like, what, 78? 77. Like okay. Se- or was it? No, no, no. It was late 70s. Yeah. But anyway, but yeah, it's it's a fascinating movie because it's like Birmingham, like there's the Mountain Brook Country Club. Yeah, and they use that house over on Jemison mm-hmm. uh, Parkway or whatever. Yeah. That big sort of Mount Vernon looking house. It's right. Over there. And when like they go downtown, you actually see people walking around downtown Birmingham. Yeah, and you see those awesome like orange and silver buses that they oh. had. And I think the big showdown that they have, like the Mr. Universe competition, takes place in the Lyric Theater. There's a picture of them yeah. on the Lyric, mm-hmm. and it's all these muscle men on the fire escape. The fire right. escape sort of makes this big X shape, and there's sort of muscle men and all the points of it. Right. And if you have the wider shot of that, you can totally see a little marquee down at the bottom mm-hmm. that says, Al Goldstein presents something. And Al Goldstein was yeah. a porn producer, mm-hmm. uh, and he also published Screw magazine. Right, and so it's like, oh, so the lyric was a porn theater mm-hmm. that they just kind of gloss over in the whole yeah. history of the lyric. No, yeah, the lyric theater was uh, was definitely a porn theater in the 1970s. I think for a yeah, brief, those bosses. Yeah, so like, there's all these people downtown Birmingham. I mean, can yeah. you imagine that now with the Terminator and, the, and Termin- the dude running around together at last? Oh, there it is. And Lyric fraud. Theater. Yeah. Now, I, I knew people that worked on it. Um, oh, do you? Uh, and they would, like, uh, oh, man, what's her name? Um, I'll think of it a, a little bit. Karen Graffio worked on it in some mm. capacity. She's a photography teacher in, in, in uh, Birmingham. And she would say, like, ooh, let's go watch him eat. Because apparently he ate like an animal. <laughs> Who, Schwarzenegger? No, Jeff Bridges. Oh, Jeff Bridges. No, Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Sally Field. So, so, wait, Schwarzenegger was just there, and they just wanted, wanted to see him, like, eat food? They're on the set, and he uh-huh. apparently just gobbled down enormous amounts of food all the time. So, um, 
it was sort of yeah. somewhat entertaining, I guess, to yeah. go and watch the spectacle of him. I'm sure eating just buckets of fried chicken or whatever crap. Yeah, because like even hey, though you could see the marquee really well on that one. I know. I, I know. That's what I was showing it. I was showing it to the nice people at home. And there's like what, like nine wet weightlifter guys. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, that that staircase is no longer there. Obviously, it hasn't been there in years. Because um, the fire department probably said take that down. Oh man. Uh, but yeah, like, uh, but you can still see the outline of it. Um. And yeah, there's the billboard right there. Look at that. Al Goldstein, yeah. Felicity Split. Woo. It happened in Hollywood. Yeah. It happened in Hollywood is the name of the movie that's uh, showing at that particular Yeah, moment. I need to look those up. Look up uh, Felicity Split and see what it says about that. I'm afraid to look that up on my Google. Do it. Dave. Do it. Why do you Felicity always make me Split look up porn? By I don't make you. I'm really I'm not gonna type in Felicity Split. I will say it happened in Hollywood. <laughs> Once upon a time, 1937. No, that's not. That's it. not it. Okay, I'm looking up <laughs> Felicity Split on my um, my phone. If I can find my phone. Let's see. Yeah. Oh, I don't Steen know. Steen presents Felicity Splits. Okay. I hope uh, our one viewer Paul is enjoying uh enjoying uh, the show. I, I, so yeah while while dave is looking up felicity split i'll just let paul know and anybody else who may be watching this in the future that um i had a plan to do a podcast tonight and i was totally ready for that plan and then dave came over oh my goodness and uh we (laughs) decided to hook up and we've been talking now for about an hour live and uh and uh, yeah, my, my plan was to uh, go live and do a live show at 10 o'clock. Um, so I just decided to go ahead and just like let Dave talk and oh my goodness. We'll just see where it goes. I mean, it's just kind of, you know, relaxed. And, and uh, I, I, I do have plans to do formal shows um, from here on out. Okay, so Felicity, uh, yeah, go ahead. Felicity Split decided yeah. to make a career in the porno movie business. But it's a long way to get anywhere, and she has to use all of her assets to convince producers of her talent. That's the... Oh, so it's like her autobiography? I don't know. <laughs> Actually, uh, it's... I don't I don't know what all this is. I, that might be it happened in Hollywood. Yeah. I'm not sure what it's all it is. It, it is just um, so incredibly mind-boggling that... Birmingham in the 1970s would have been like just any other city in the entire country with a porno theater in the middle of downtown. I mean, every, every, every city was like that. Huh? We had three that I'm aware of. Yeah. Like screening room, the lyric at some point and uh, the Jupiter theater, which I always love that name. Yeah. Jupiter theater. It's just amazing because like the way that cities in America define themselves, um, you know, like in the 1970s, they all seem to be following the lead of like New York, where you would just have this formerly bustling downtown that has just completely given its way over to given itself <laughs> over to the adult film industry. Yes. And Birmingham was no different. I mean, you think in the South it would have been different, but but it wasn't. I mean, they just, mm. uh, you know, and uh, I, I don't know. Like and then by the time I was actually coming downtown, which would have been like beginning in the late 1980s mid to late 1980s because my dad worked downtown birmingham Mm -hmm. all of that was gone um 
the Lyric Theater wasn't even a porno theater anymore. It was just completely closed. It's gone, yeah. And it didn't open again until recently, just a few years ago. And that's as a um, mm-hmm. sort of like a uh, yeah. remodeled, kind of renovated classic thing to sort yeah. of compete against the Alabama Theater. Well, it's not competing. I think they're all... I think they're all run by the same people. Oh, okay. yeah. I think it's like the the board runs it. I don't know. I mean, I you know, I yeah. don't want to talk and sound like sound like an idiot, but um, no. Like, I mean, I know that um, you know they opened up the Lyric Theater to kind of. Uh, it was, there was a big nonprofit restoration project mm-hmm. that went into opening it back up, and they did an amazing job. I remember going there with Jessica back in 2010, in the summer of 2010. And you could just go to the Alabama Theater and you could talk to somebody there and they would actually walk you across the street and let you walk through the Lyric yeah, Theater. Yeah, I remember doing that a couple of times. Yeah. And so it was, it was, uh, the restoration was led by the same people. Yeah, I remember Glenny Brock. Glenny Brock. Glenny Brock had yeah. a lot to do with that. Right. I, I've kicked myself because they mm-hmm. offered me all the uh, voice of the, the uh, theater sound systems. Yeah. And I just did not have a place to keep speaker cabinets as big as this room at the time yeah but it's like oh man i wish i could have uh, i wish i would have just said do it just do it yeah make it happen yeah because that would be great to have all that electro voice kind of equipment have you been to any shows at the lyric theater yeah we had to record a thing one time we had to record this gigantic choir Mm -hmm. and orchestra Mm -hmm. um one night and Mm -hmm. uh i've never been i've never been to a show but i've had to like deal with shows there in a couple mm-hmm. times, but um, oh what you mean like uh like technical you know yeah. like like shoot it or or something, yeah. but yeah. I've never like gone in that I'm aware of yeah. and just watched a show. I the thought it was do at the Alabama. I, I thought it was crazy because I was uh, <laughs> I was at um, driving by the Lyric Theater one night about a year or so ago, and the marquee on the sign said like an evening of John Denver. Oh, and so I guess it was like a John Denver tribute concert or whatever, but they had like five or six police cars outside and they had, they were like, um, um, you know, they had those metal detectors. They were like going, really? searching everybody coming, <laughs> coming into the theater. It was, it was very, a very bizarre scene and a weird sign of the times that were in 2023 and people going to a John Denver conf- concert have to be searched. Would it be great? If, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great if, like, the end the lights went down and they came up purple and smoke came out and a headless man came out and sang, like, Country Roads. You know. Did he get decapitated? I think they found his head. Oh, God, no. I didn't know that. They either found oh, his head terrible. or they didn't find his head in his um, airplane accident. Tell you what, if you uh, want to have like a fun night, read the John Denver Wikipedia article. Man, I used to sort of, I, I loved him. He, he's sort of the sound of serial commercials. And, okay. Um, but, and I used to think he's sort of this kind of cool, but sort of dorky guy. Mm-hmm. But then I saw him on the, the PMRC. Is that what it was? PRMC or whatever? What is the PMRC? Uh, Tipper Gore had these, Oh, uh, the uh, Parents that... Music Resource Council or something. Okay, yeah. P- yeah. yeah. Uh, he was up there testifying right. with Frank Zappa right. and Dee Schneider of Twisted right. Sister. Yeah. And kind of seeing that, Motley Crue was like, dude, he is way cooler than I thought he would be. Because <laughs> they kind of came in and, and really, you know... 
D. Schneider has a really good piece about that, where it's like they thought I was going to come in and be this dumbass mm-hmm. metal long haired guy, and, yeah. and they had no idea that he was articulate and savvy. And there yeah. he is. Oh my god. Yeah. Be with you, and I apologize for running in and out. I seem to be Great testifying and briefing uh, many people here in Capitol Hill today, and it uh, causes. Uh, but see, like John Denver lived a much crazier life than Frank Zappa and D. Snyder, Snyder oh, combined. D. Snyder's kind of famously a teetotaler. You know, yeah, like, I, I don't. I, yeah, D. Yeah, um, but John John Denver would get like high on cocaine. He would go over to his ex-wife's house, like split up. Like, uh, take a chainsaw out. I mean, kind of like uh, in that movie Shortcuts. Jesus. John yeah. Denver. I mean, yeah, he was he was insane. So, like, John Denver coming here to the PMRC and being, like, the clean-cut guy. Mm-hmm. The guy that you took can take home to mama. Yeah. Um, was All sort of, was said, very yeah. ironic because D. Snyder and Frank Zappa were much, much more restrained in their private lives than John Denver was. Blue Ridge Mountains. Um, he, he wrote that song with Bill Danoff. Uh, yeah. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, who sang, uh, who also wrote uh, Afternoon Delight, mm. which is a beautiful song. I'm like. not a big fan of it, but. Oh, man. It, it, it just, that, that song makes me so happy. It's about sex in the afternoon. I love how the radio just. Played it like it was the Lawrence Welk show, and it was such a like stealth, dirty song, <laughs> and I so appreciate that about that. <laughs> so I used to um, talk to my students when when I was teaching uh, tenth graders. Uh, we would uh, always do a unit every year on rhetoric, um, on kind of different ways of persuading people with uh-huh. arguments. And um, I would always show them uh, the D. Snyder testimony to the PMRC. Um, mm. And uh, I would always show them just a, a, a clip, kind of like a thumbnail, of uh, just D. Snyder um, and asking the students to sort of make like some presuppositions about what D. Snyder might be talking about or you know, what his private life is like. And, you know, basically just making face oh, value assumptions. Yeah, sort of like that old yeah. Reddit thing of like first impressions. Exactly. And then I would ask them, I would ask the, I would play the D. Snyder testimony. And man, the, the students were so incredibly captivating. If you've ever watched that testimony from beginning to end, the argument that he makes is just so fascinating. And um, he's talking about like he kind of goes through each one of Tipper Gore's complaints about his music, mm-hmm. saying that it like, glorify satanism and like eating children <laughs> on all that eating stuff children. exactly and then at one point he holds a big bone on yeah. the album cover but i don't think it's a children's bone. but at then then one point d snyder sort of says like you know all of this is meant to be a satirization of cartoon violence um as growing up i was a big fan of bugs bunny and uh he was saying that like um um in in many of my music videos i have used clips from my extensive collection of uh of of cartoons and <laughs> i love these shiners that you're watching daffy dog i know <laughs> it's just the f- blowing his bill off or whatever. i know it's just the funniest thing ever but it's it's very uh it's very interesting it's it, it is so yeah no i i yeah. love this pmrc t- when when I is like this like about 19 it's about 1987 maybe? yeah 89 yeah 
Maybe even 1992 or something. I mean, it's, it's a little later. I think it's later than that. Around 93. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm. I'm yeah, look it up. See what it is. See, see what the, uh, I mean, I guess we could. We have the internet. But yeah. I'm, I'm guessing about. I think it came out like right around when the two live proof thing started coming out. Uh -huh. Like right after that. And I'm not even sure what Tipper Gore's little argument was. I'm not. From what I understand, they just said like, can we just have a rating system of albums? But yeah, I, don't, I think I don't that's. Know. I think that's all it was. Which I think. Is, it, I think it got blown way out of proportion. Sort of fair enough, I guess. Yeah. It's like there might be some shit on this album that you don't really want your little kids to hear. It's mm -hmm. up to you, but just fair warning, kind of yeah. a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it I just got. Think were, I think it got blown way out of proportion. I think it was the same thing as like the uh, when they started having the hearings on the video game rating board mm -hmm. or system um, back in. I guess that was around '94. Mm -hmm. um, it was. It was just simply a few senators being like, maybe we should just talk about regulating this a little bit, and because you know, the music industry and the video game industry. They're not going to stop until they may until they make as much money as they possibly can. And they were just but saying, like, everybody. maybe as yeah, maybe as Democrats, because that's what Democrats do. They sort of think about how government might solve the problem. Um, you know, they step in and 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 they just said maybe we should regulate this. And the music industry, just like the video game industry, reached a deal with them, and they said, well, why don't just let us try regulating ourselves and that's what happened and it's been fantastic ever since i mean honestly uh, you know the music industry and the video game industry have done amazing jobs of policing themselves um i may i may be wrong but as, as far as i know um, i haven't heard any complaints yeah i know i mean it's like there haven't know, been any you complaints can, you can do anything you want right I, i've heard things that's like yeah remember when People would push boundaries and it would be like shocking and be like, oh my God. I know. And when's I the last time somebody like really pushed a boundary? Sometimes in commercials and things, you can really see people. I haven't seen it in a while, but you could tell that they're like really pushing, trying to push buttons mm -hmm. with something. Yeah. You know, it might be like, you know, maybe a commercial that has like an interracial couple. It's like, ooh, but also nobody cares anymore. Yeah. That's like super innocent. I mean, you know, that's, yeah. But sometimes like, there's just not, I mean, when I was, when I was um, growing up, I, I remember two specific insta inst uh, instances just with television that were really big. Mm -hmm. um, there was the first gay kiss ever shown on television. That was on Spin City mm -hmm. in the year like 1996. Mm -hmm. And then which, there was Ellen coming out of the closet, which would have been like 97 or 98. All I hear is, yeah. Is Gomer Pyle going, surprise, surprise, surprise. So was everybody at home watching that and be like, no, oh my God. you couldn't go home. You had to go down to the Civic Center to watch it. Oh, yeah. Are you serious? Yeah, wait, what? Wait. Birmingham's like, we're not going to show that satanic devil gay crap. Wait a second. Wait, go back. No, it's it's when the when. Are you uh, saying when whenever Goober when, was on the Andy Griffith show? No, when, okay. when, when, when Ellen had the big... Coming out. Thing, oh right! You okay. like all the TV stations said we're not going to show this. Okay, okay. And I thought so, you were talking about Goober being like no <laughs> to I, go down that, to the Civic Center to watch the Andy Griffith show. Okay. No, okay. no, okay. Sorry, that's just like Ellen yeah. coming out. Okay, it's yeah. Like, oh, did she? So, <laughs> um, 
But they they showed that on. I mean, you could. I mean, I remember watching it on television. Though, well, so you, you probably saw it, it on a rerun. But when it when it was when it aired, there was some kind of thing about it. I mean, look it up. It's uh, okay. Some kind of thing about like in Birmingham, you had to go watch it on a big live feed or something okay. at the Civic Center. That's interesting. I didn't know that. And this was like what I don't know, like nineteen ninety. Because I was two or something. No, this was like nineteen ninety. Seven. I mean, this was late. Yeah, they 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 were. Yeah. they refused to show that. I didn't know that. Okay, I I need to look, look it up. Make sure I, I'm right about. Well, that. Well, I mean, I won't. I don't know how I would look that up. Just right look now. up Ellen yeah. uh, coming out in Birmingham. Okay. Um. Just see see if there's. Uh, I, I yeah. I'm pretty sure it was that one. Um. I didn't watch oh. the show, but I just you know that's sort yeah. Of I didn't things. watch the show when it was on. Um. Okay. So here's an article on AL.com from like 2011. Um, on this day in 1997, Ellen DeGeneres was preparing to hit the big 4-0 along with starring on her own sitcom, Ellen. Um, mm-hmm. For months leading up to the epic episode, DeGeneres thwarted attempts to get her to divulge information regarding both her own sexuality, all that stuff. Um... Birmingham ABC affiliate WBMA refused to air the episode. Okay. In response, ABC sent a special satellite feed of the show to a community center in Birmingham. So you're right. You remember that correctly. Yeah. I didn't watch the show live. Um, Cause you couldn't, but yeah, I mean, I, well, I wasn't, I never Pacific watched center the show. Like, That's the thing. I yeah. never watched, watched Ellen. Um, Apparently and, it was like a big yeah. deal. Like yeah. a whole bunch of people went. But. Yeah. Yeah, that that's uh that's really interesting because I I do remember all the fanfare around it. Like I mm-hmm. remember um, watching um, that show Access Hollywood, mm-hmm. and they were sort of talking. They they had sent camera crews because in Los Angeles there were like really big watch parties. You know, like mm-hmm. people renting out theaters to watch the episode. And yeah, um, the 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 name of the episode was called the Puppy Episode. You know, that was the whole thing. And uh-huh. um, and uh, Laura Dern guest stars on it. I guess as her oh, friend. Right. His sort of, uh, and yeah, like, uh, it, it's, it's weird because that was like the a, a huge, a huge show, a really huge, uh, ratings grabber. And then the show for some reason ended like a few months later. And I don't know if it was just because of all the backlash or because the show really wasn't that good to begin with, yeah. but, um, I don't know. Sometimes big sort yeah. of stunt episodes can yeah. kind of just sort of. Well, that was cool, and then you sort of just don't yeah. have much. It's kind of like is that, that jumping whatever. the shark or what? But yeah, ever since that episode, and of course, you know, Ellen recovered so well. Of course, you know, she yeah, had she, she had a talk show for something like twenty years, and then it. I heard she was mean. Well, yeah, and then she got oddly canceled for being mean, like rumors that she was mean to some staff members, which is like just, yeah, all kinds of things. But yeah, but you know, I don't know. It's the weirdest thing. Okay. Oh, Paul just came up with an excellent comment. Oh, what, what did he say? He said, even in 2019, PBS in Alabama refused to show an episode of Arthur in the 22nd season due to a gay teacher being played by Jane Lynch. Wow. So, you know, Jane Lynch, the, uh, the actress, she's, um, she's in like at all the Christopher Guest movies and, and things like that. Okay. Um, yeah. But anyway, she's, she's gay, but you know, she, I guess she, I thought Arthur was a cartoon. Arthur is a cartoon. It's like so a I little, guess she like voiced the thing or something. <laughs> He's like a, a an anteater like what is, a or a mole. Or He's a mole. That was like a goat or a rabbit or something. <laughs> I think like that. He's a rabbit. 
What is he? Is he a what 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 animal is Arthur? That's a really good trivia question. I have no idea. Because there's sort of the, at one point this this trend. I think it started with um, <laughs> was it dog? He's what, an anteater. What was that show that came on? Uh, it was a cartoon that came on before uh, Harriet the Spy from Nickelodeon. And, it, and Harriet the Spy wasn't a television show. It no, was it was a, a movie. Yeah, it was a movie. But 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 if you saw the movie, which I always liked that book, so I mm-hmm. saw the movie. Yeah, a cartoon for a Nickelodeon show because Nickelodeon produced Harriet the Spy, mm-hmm. and um, they uh, they had this cartoon and it was like not dog but something like that. Yeah, and anyway, it started sort of this trend of like Aardvark. everybody's like, uh, oh okay, that makes sense. Yeah, everybody's like different like. Like this guy's blue, this guy's yellow, this guy's pink, this guy's mm-hmm. green, that kind of a thing. And I always thought that was kind of a strange sort of Yeah, thing. that was uh Nickelodeon's way of uh teaching kids about racial diversity. Okay. Is by having all the characters be different. Yeah, what was it? Was it I don't yeah. I think it was dog. It was like Yeah. Um I'll, I'll think of it. There was a mean girl. There was a mean girl uh-huh. and yeah. anyway. Beautiful, well, beautiful uh, cartoon, though. Well, yeah, I mean, The Simpsons is the same way. But, yeah, the 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 Doug show, like, Roger Klotz was always mean, and I think he was green. Mm-hmm. I think he was a green character. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, Paul Paul says that uh, Arthur is a show about an aardvark. Okay, that makes sense. I do remember something about okay. that now. But that, that's fascinating. So is even in 2019, PBS, PBS... Like the one blue dot among all of the red programming in Alabama. Yeah, seriously. Refused to show. I mean, I guess they just had uh, outrage from parents groups and things like that. But mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just so weird. I just feel like. Um, I wonder if there's some kind of weird like bylaw and a grant somebody wrote saying, I'll leave you like $2 million, but you better not ever show that thing or you have to forfeit it sevenfold i don't know i i think i don't know who knows yeah um yeah i i think i think it's it's interesting because uh, not having children i think that we're sort of past everything thank you um i, I think that we're yeah. sort of past every like and past being so offended and all that everything we're but, just you know it's like yeah there was a time where like uh you know what was a big deal? Television history, Mike and Carol Brady, yeah, sleep in the same bed. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, I think Lucy and Ricky, toward the end of I Love Lucy, were sleeping in the same bed, weren't I'm they? Still always wonder yeah. about those twins. Like even when I was yeah. a little kid, it's like so weird. What is that? Is that? I, I just didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I was little. Yeah, I I don't know. I I just feel like we're sort of in a post offended society, and then people get offended about things like all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just, you know, when I was, when I was teaching, it's absolutely true. It's like, it's weird. The things that you think of as an adult is just like innocuous and just so normal. Mm-hmm. Other parents, like when I was uh, teaching a film class and the first movie that I had on the syllabus for the year was psycho. And I was showing this to a bunch of eighth graders. Maybe they may have been a little bit too young for psycho. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the parents are totally cool with it. They're like, yeah, show, show Psycho. Yeah. I mean, you know, because, you know, by the, by the time these kids are 14, most of them have had phones since they were probably in fourth or fifth grade. Yeah. And so by the time they're 15, they are they they know they know their stuff. And so Psycho 
is just I don't think of it. I think of it as a great way to teach good filmmaking. Mm-hmm. I don't think of it as anything that is mildly, um, you know, offensive or anything like that. But nevertheless, I, I did have a have a, a teacher, a parent who happened to be one of my coworkers who was teaching and mm-hmm. his son was in the class, was in my class. And he said, uh, you know, I know you want to show Psycho and I think that's a good idea, but maybe maybe my son isn't ready for it. Could you possibly show him something else? And it was a totally legitimate concern that he had. I mean, and know. I was like, I saw Psycho for the first time when I was 14. So I was when I was in the eighth grade and I didn't think anything of it um, at the at the time. I mean, I thought it was a great film mm-hmm. um, and just scary enough to kind of hold to get me curious and interested. Mm hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, these days I don't think of like psycho as anything that might show a 14 year old, anything that they haven't seen before oh, yeah. on television. Nine, a million, I mean, yeah. yeah, it's like the, these kids see, I mean, kids are watching the walking dead. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen an episode of the walking uh, dead, yeah. but it's like ridiculously grisly. This is stuff yeah. that you wouldn't have been able to see. Um, on cable 20 years ago. But you know, um, like, I'm right? gonna, I will make a little bit of a case for, um, there's a, there's a certain value to a lot of the abstractness of, mm-hmm. uh, some of the earlier violence that didn't necessarily happen on screen, mm-hmm. but that was highly suggested and unquantifiable. Uh, I would say a lot of that's almost just like worse and more disturbing than just, sticking something on screen yeah um no yeah of course the uh i mean psycho works really well because you never see like knife penetration yeah 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 i mean you you, i mean you even comically kind of see the knife like sort of miss the skin and kind of go by it yeah it's just kind of like yeah it's creating like because the bernard herman score sounds like a knife anyway uh you know it sounds like slashing knives you just sort of like your mind psychologically puts it together that it's a lot more scary than it really is. Yeah, there, yeah. there was a um, episode of two or a, a, a comic book called Two Fisted Tales, mm-hmm. and it had these two dudes in the jungle, and they were these army guys that I guess they got parachuted down or something mm-hmm. like that. But anyway, they were they got caught by a, some jungle tribe. Yeah, and they were held prisoner in this like tent thing, and they took one out. Mm. And uh, they just tortured him all night. Mm-hmm. And the dude just sat in the tent and all he heard was like, whoa, ah, you know, just, and he just had to sit there and they never showed what they were doing. You just saw him just like his eyes just, uh, and just saw the letters, wow, you know, the whole time for panel after panel. And you're like, what in the world are they doing to him? And the whole thing was like, he just has to sit there and saying, oh my God, I'm next. And that's like way worse than being able to see it and quantify what's going on, you know? There's no quantification. It's just... Yeah, that's like the deer hunter. I mean, that's exactly what happens in the deer hunter. Mm. Because uh, if you remember that scene where they're playing Russian roulette. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, Yeah, there's a scene where like, you know, uh, Robert De Niro and like John Savage and all them, they're like in the cage and all Mm -hmm. they hear is just like, terrible screams mm-hmm. and gun and the occasional gunshot stole it from two yeah <laughs> michael cimino made uh yeah read a bunch of comic books in preparation for two vista tales oh my god yeah. i probably did yeah, yeah i could tell you which one it was if yeah. i saw him but um 
something about the the, mm. the Javaro tribe or something. But um, yeah. but that that's like one hundred percent true though. Like um, because um, and I think Hitchcock knew that really well. And all the directors of the seventies who were influenced by Hitchcock, namely Spielberg, you know they they knew exactly what they were doing. Um, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. like they they knew that, um, you know like sort of suggesting things was mm-hmm. a lot scarier than actually showing them. It's like why you only see the shark about, you know, 50 minutes into Jaws. Mm-hmm. And I sort of, uh, we were watching, you know, Boogie Nights the other night, and I was cor- sort of like, you know, Dirk Diggler's, you know, penis is kind of like the shark in Jaws, mm-hmm. where everybody's constantly sort of reacting to it and hearing and, about it. And, 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 hearing about like, oh it. and then by the end of the movie, it's been built up so much, and it's kind of like, ah. There it is. <laughs> There just is. right there. Did you look at it? Because we'll hold on to it for another two minutes. Exactly. So, like, I, I have this uh, total belief that uh, the director of Boogie Nights was uh, influenced by Jaws. Mm-hmm. He was like, let's take that shark and make it a penis. <laughs> Five and a half tons of them. <laughs> You're going to exactly. need a bigger vagina. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I can no longer play this for my high school film no, students. Oh, you can make it go away. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, the um, the uh, pumpkin spice pallies, which is Jason and Alex and me. Mm-hmm. We were talking about. Um, I want to be a part of this group. You have to get an iPhone because that's how you have to talk. Um, Do we really want to be like separating ourselves by technology like well, that? Well, we don't, but the technology separates itself. Whatever. But we'll figure it out. Um, okay. But anyway, we were yeah. talking about. Um, we we're talking about uh, the Toxic Avenger, mm-hmm. and it wasn't even like the the awfulness of what was on screen mm-hmm. that we were talking about. We were talking about like we were all just affected about how just mean and cruel everybody was. Yeah. You know, the violence on screen was mm-hmm. you know it was, it was a lot and it was kind of shocking and all, but just the attitudes mm-hmm. of it, just being everybody was just acting ugly all the time. Yeah beyond what you ever saw and i sort of saw that and that's what disturbed us the most when we saw it when when we were little kids and toxic adventure is probably one of the most whitewashed properties i've ever seen in my entire life when all meaning it became like a saturday morning cartoon show and all like watching it's like oh look there's movies yeah yeah (laughs) let's go see this Mom and Dad, of that, course you can get that, that honey. That's why. That that's why I never got into those trauma movies. Yeah, I did, uh, because I because did, they I are so mean and bitter and just, cynical, and yeah, there's no horrible. room for like happiness in them. And uh, they're just like, you know what? Uh, you know, if you're happy in this world, then you die. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, um. And, you know, and, and like, hey, yeah, can you make somebody yeah. else's life even more miserable? Mm-hmm. Some miserable creature, can you make it worse for them? No. That's your motivation. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. it's, uh, you know, Melvin the Mop Boy, you mm-hmm. know, he works at the gym and everybody's just ugly. But when, you know, when I saw yeah. the, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly when I was in fourth grade yeah. on TV, I was just struck by how cruel everybody was. Mm-hmm. Just cruel and brutal. Yeah. You know, like, oh, here's a guy that just walks in massacres a whole family yeah. and leaves the mom just in the desert. But but it's not like kills the guy that hired him. Yeah, but it's not like scene after scene after scene. It's like there's there, there, there's some niceness. There, there are characters some... in that movie and, and the good, the bad and the ugly that are 
100% redeemable. Like, you know, yeah, at the end of the day, like, Blondie, all he wants is the money. Tuco, all he wants is the money. So, so for uh, uh, Angel Eyes. But Blondie and Tuco still form this relationship of understanding where even if they're going to be kind of uh, ruthless with each other, there's still, like, a a humanity between them. Well, that was kind of the thing that we were talking about. We were sort of talking about, like, you know, there's that those little bits that all these just brutal people are trying to maybe even hide or obscure. Mm-hmm. Like the whole idea, like you know, Tuco's proudly talking about how his brother so warmly received him and mm-hmm. blah blah blah. But really, they were fighting, and Blondie saw that. Mm-hmm. And you know, the whole time they're riding away from the place, Tuco's like, "Yeah, my brother, he always loves to see me." Blah blah blah. <laughs> And Bondi's just like, you could just tell it's like, yeah, I saw what happened. But you know what? I'm not even going to bring it up. And it's like, you know, after a good meal, there's nothing like a good cigar. And then you hear, and they just, the stagecoach takes off and they're gone. They're off furthering, you know, and it's like, oh my God, that is incredible. I mean, yeah, it's an incredible movie. Yeah, even like Angel Eyes, like when Angel Eyes, like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to do what we did to to Tuco. Would Mm -hmm. you talk? No, probably not. I know he would. You're wondering, like, would he would he have made a square deal? He did always keep his promises. Mm-hmm. If he and, and and Blondie said, "Okay, we're going together. I know the name of the thing. Tuco told you the name of the grave, blah blah blah, or whatever." Um, or Tuco told you the name of the cemetery. I know the name of the grave. Let's go. Would they be square with with each other? They might. I don't know. It's hard to tell. No, I think like. Um I think at the end of the day, like Blondie would have had compassion for Tuco. I think he would he have shared with him in the money. He did but share I th- with him in the money. Well, yeah, technically, but he also kind of like ties his hands up. Well, and, he shot yeah. him down. Yeah. Tuco will get out, but he also, in a weird mechanical way, kind of made mm-hmm. a, a little bit of a delay because yeah. he knew that Tuco was probably kind of dangerous. Yeah, and just. Tuco, there's your share, man, fair and square. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be away from you when you get it because, right. you know, you're going to want mine or something. Yeah, it was very, very smart on Blondie. Like, he valued him as a human being, but he didn't trust him he as a human being. He didn't kill him. He could, he yeah, 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 yeah. He totally could have killed him, yeah. but he didn't. Yeah. Uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is a great movie. I don't know if uh, I would say it remotely in the same breath, in the same sentence, maybe not even in the same lifetime as The Toxic Adventure. <laughs> Well, but, but we started talk. We somehow lumped them into two the same category. Well, there's, there's, there's just <laughs> a lot sure. of ugliness in each of them, but yeah. they treat it. They treat the ugliness different, and there's some right. redemption in the good, the bad, and the ugly, right. and also some more dimensional sides. Well, and, I think the uh, reason why the good, the bad, and the ugly is such an important Western film is number one, it wasn't made by Americans. Um, mm-hmm. It was made by like Americans, kind of looking at America from the outside and saying to America. I also think during the Vietnam period, being like, look at what you're doing to yourself. Um, yeah, I always love that line. Yeah. Like, I've never seen so many men wasted so badly. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and they're just... Yeah, and I, I think, like, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly is one of the great Western films is because it really also was the first, really one of the first Western films that didn't have John Wayne in it to show the West as it really was. It's just, like, this fatalist place that is just devoid of hope in humanity yeah. where everybody is like truly left to fend for themselves as like the animals that they are. Yeah. And um, like it, it, it's a movie that 
perfectly shows that. Mm -hmm. And it's also hopeful at the very end of the movie because mm -hmm. it, it's, you know, Clint Eastwood is like the rugged individual. He keeps his promise. He, he does. And he keeps his promise. And, and at the end of the day, it's sort of like nobody is going to save the West except the, the individual. Right. It's not going to be the government. It's not going to be uh, your friends, your neighbors, your police. It's going to be just you. You're, mm -hmm. you're, you're the only one that's going to be able to take this wild place and tame it. And, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great, great movie. I haven't seen it in many years. Oh, we I think it. that's let's, what let's it's like. <laughs> sure. Yeah, well, we should watch it. I used to watch uh, me, Paul, me and Jason. Paul, can you come watch it with us, please? Yeah. Yeah, Paul, come over and watch The Good, The Bad, yeah, and we'll tell you with what, us. He's like the unofficial co-host tonight. Or oh, the official he co-host. He's just silent. He kind of is. He's sort of he's like, like Hal 9000. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, I have a yeah. I have a picture of me taken through how nine thousands. I know POV lens. Dan mm -hmm. and me both have those. Yeah. And, uh, Did I get that number right? It is how nine thousand, right? Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. It's two thousand one. How nine thousand? Yeah. yeah, me and Jason used to uh, make chili all the time and watch the good, the bad, and the ugly. That sounds yeah. awesome. Yeah, we would do it usually like in I don't know September or sometime around there. Uh, we, my sister and I used to watch it. Yeah. The night before Thanksgiving. Yeah. She would. When That's a good lives, time of the year to watch it. Yeah. yeah. When our lives kind of worked out a little bit, our little yeah. routine was like she'd come over yeah. and we'd watch that. Um, and we did it for two three years. Mm -hmm. uh, we'd watch it on TV because it has a nice Thanksgiving palette. Yeah. And uh, and then in the morning we'd get out and we'd go to Chilton County where we have some land and and we. Um, you know, hike around, shoot some rifles and whatnot, and then go to my grandma's for Thanksgiving yeah. and just talk about the good and the ugly. <laughs> Bad and the ugly. God, so, I love that movie. Paul said, I'm there for it. Great idea. Okay. So uh, when it, yeah, the, the way that this works is um, we have a, a, a garage, a garage, and we painted a wall white mm -hmm. so we can shine movies on yeah. it with a projector. Yeah. Uh, the only thing about it is... In the summer, you don't know if the night's going to be nice or miserable. Mm -hmm. You know, hot, humid, sticky. Yeah. And so you have to kind of call it when you, um, you know, it's like, oh, it's a nice night. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to say, hey, we're going to uh, drive across town right now <laughs> because we're going to start this moon in about 15 minutes. So it's hard to yeah. invite people. But yeah. as the weather gets theoretically more predictable it's easier to say like we're gonna do this on thursday yeah. so we're uh we're gonna do this uh soon paul will call you yeah and uh yeah there, there's a cabin trip coming up too but paul can't go because he's got to go see a concert of some kind what concert is he gonna see uh i don't know um i think he's going to see hanson hanson i thought he's a swifty what is he doing i don't know swifty why do they some... call themselves Swifties? Oh, hmm. The Taylor Swift fans. It, it reminds me of like Tom Swifties. Yeah, Tom Swifties. Or those? it sounds like some kind of like a really quick sexual act done in the back seat of a car in but a Shoney's like parking lot. <laughs> hey, you wanna <laughs> Old chap, did you get a Swift? Chap, did you get a Swiftie? Were you lucky oh, enough? I've got more than that. <laughs> yeah. So I think Paul's gonna see Hanson or uh, something like uh I like new Mbop. new kids on the block or uh, furnace fest. I like Mbop. I thought that was a cool song. My only my only problem with Hanson was I wish the kid, the little tiny kid, had short hair instead of having like cool long hair like his cool older brothers. I, I, I think I that would have worked. A I bit. never put that much thought into it. I did. It was like 
Umbop is kind of a, a good song. I hope Paul enjoys that show. You know, Umbop was a good song. And um Mbop? Mbop. Uh Mbop. and and Paul should be not ashamed at all that he went to go see Hanson. Um and um you know, because it, it, Hanson was back in the day they were a very good band. There were three of them. I think I think it was one of those things where you know when your dad does your science fair project for you? Yeah. I think it was kinda like that. I think it was one of those things where, like, their dad was, like, the producer of somebody else. And it's like, hey, my kids are of an age to be a, a young Jackson 3. Probably. But I think they were actually good musicians. You know, they were brothers. And, uh... They, they, yeah. huh? they were brothers. Oh. <laughs> what, you didn't know that? I thought they were white. <laughs> so... Shut up. So, um... I thought... That they were actually brothers to uh, the Hans, the you know uh, Beck, because Beck's last oh. name is Hanson. Oh, I didn't know. That. Yeah, I thought, and they kind of looked like Beck. I don't know. So that... I thought that Beck was off producing like weird I feel alternative like... rock music, and Hanson was off doing like Mbop. I feel like I would know yeah. that if that yeah. was true. It's not true, but okay. it seemed so true, and like that's the thing. Is that in 1996, um, really before it was easy to go on the internet and verify these things, you had no idea. So you really basically only could go on what others told you and what you yourself believed. So this is what I'm wondering, because um, this is kind of what I do on my podcast, is I, I kind of wonder things. I, I like ask myself these big cultural questions at 11 o'clock at night and then I don't answer them because they're, they're, you know, um, how are we living in what they call a post fact society where we, we don't believe anything that anybody tells us, even though we've never at any time point in human history had more access to knowledge than we do right now. Yet in 1996, in 1996, yeah. you just took, you, you, you did, if somebody told you, that Beck was Hanson's brother, you would be like, I don't think that's true. And you would just be okay with that fact. Um, you know? Well, but yeah, I, like I the, these, that's... these days, like anybody could tell you anything at all and you would go to Google and immediately verify it. One thing that I, I've, I've been fascinated by, well, it's because we all have the same tools now. Um, there's, there's an interesting book by John Stossel, who I think worked for like 2020 or something. Yeah, he was the guy that got uh, slapped he by got that slapped wrestler. By a wrestler. He, he had yeah. all kinds of sort yeah. of expose journalism that yeah. I always appreciated. But uh, he would talk about, um, you know, sort of situations like that where, um, you know, nightly news used to be a very, you know, like, like hallowed ground. It's like, okay... Even though this channel has news, it's gonna be it's gonna shift gears a little bit, and be very unbiased. And at some point, somebody learned like, why do we have to be unbiased? And I'd say that was probably like mid late nineties. Mm -hmm. And you started getting kind of these more um, uh, fringe newses, you know, like yeah. uh, we're look at that guy, um, you know, fr fringe news or like yeah, well, you know. Rush Limbaugh was probably a big deal with that because, you know, my parents listened to that all day and all I heard just suddenly in my life, I just always heard, and then the Clintons, blah, 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 and just heard that for like four 
freaking hours a day. Mm-hmm. And you're like, um, you know, just, it was just a, 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 it was different, but I also didn't really know that it was different. Oh, there he goes. He's about to hit, get hit. Now I heard, I, I, there's a little story behind that. I heard his boss or whatever said like, there's going to be this dude talking to you. It's going to mess up the whole deal. Mm-hmm. So let him have it is yeah. what I heard. I don't know if that's true or not. Well, anyway, you know, when the internet first started becoming like a ubiquitous thing and something that people, you know, normal people started mm-hmm. seeing and could get their home, it was very interesting to look at the uh, marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was even some with like some of the people from Friends and like Jennifer Aniston where they're like, mm. the internet can do that? Yes, <laughs> and more kind of a thing. Yeah, that was the Windows 95 uh, video with Jennifer Aniston and Matthew Perry. Yeah. I've shown that on the show before. Okay. And talked about it, yeah. Yeah, well, anyway, yeah. it was just sort of, there was this mm-hmm. great hope that like finally enlightenment but mm-hmm. it's funny how it's our tower of babel now 100 percent. like uh, yeah we... the tower of babel is uh the the most you know i uh tried to read the bible i got about 20 pages in before giving up but the thing about it is is like all the really important bible stories are in the first 20 pages of oh, there's uh there's a lot of cool <laughs> stuff going on yeah i know it, the uh yeah, like ba- uh, the Tower of Babel is in Genesis, and um, and, and it is. It's all about how. Um, I, I, I can't reach it. Oh, you can't reach it. Okay. I'm gonna have to do a, all right. There we go. Uh, but yeah, the the Tower of Babel is uh, you know people wanting to get closer to God, and so they build a bunch of uh, they build a big tower and try to get to the heavens and. God strikes them down by making them all speak different languages, and uh, that's like the destruction of society. And, and the uh, that's exactly what the internet does. Yeah, that. Um, the internet makes everybody speak different languages. Yeah, yeah. If you can't understand the language that people are speaking, then you go to a place that does. And uh, mm. and so and that's your echo chamber. One hundred percent. And that's the thing. Like in um, nineteen ninety six, when Somebody told me that Beck uh, was related to the Hanson brothers. And I was like, that's weird. They're all making completely different music. How could they possibly be related? I guess they must be. I don't know. Somebody told me, right? And so there was no way. I didn't think about going onto the internet to verify this information. I just kind of relied on my friend. Because the thing about it is we all were speaking the kind of the, the, the same exact language as each other, right? And um, I had no reason to know who Hanson was, uh, except that my sister was in the house with me, okay? So my sister was a really big fan of Hanson. And mm-hmm. I didn't listen to any of their music voluntarily, but yeah. it was just always in the house. But okay? Bob's is as catchy of a song as it could be. Yeah, it was a very catchy song. But anyway, I mean, I don't know. I just like I remember wondering aloud in church one day. I wonder if they're related. Aloud in church. Yeah. I wonder if Beck and Hanson are related. Did you shout it out? I did. And uh, and somebody said and somebody said yeah they must be. And that was the day that the Mississippi squirrel went berserk in the town of Pascagoula, (laughs) where Jimmy Buffett is from. (laughs) All right, so. We got to go pretty soon, okay? But we will talk about Jimmy Buffett, okay? So what do you know about Jimmy Buffett? Not much. Not me neither. One of my favorite things is there's an episode of 30 Rock that has 
Jimmy Buffett-like people, and brilliantly written. Somehow, uh-huh. it turns out the, the the presidential vote or something comes down to something like somehow Jenna Malone mm-hmm. is like the going to be the deciding factor on which side she takes, and there's this Jimmy Buffett-like cult <laughs> called the Crab Catchers. That exude a certain lifestyle that have embraced Jenna Malone. <laughs> so I'm, we're gonna play. Anyway. We're gonna play a game, okay? And I'm making this up off the top of my head, okay. so it may not go well. But we're gonna play a game here. Right. I'm gonna say a say say the name of a song, and you tell me if it's a real Jimmy Buffett song. Oh my god! I'm gonna fail. Okay. All right. So hold on. Just I'm second. gonna get two right. Okay. All right. Here's here they are. Okay. P. Nicolata Berg. Is that a real Jimmy Buffett song or a fake Jimmy? P. Nicolata Berg. I'm going to just say no, but I don't know. No, P. Nicolata Berg is not not a song. A Margarita. Okay. Margaritaville. I do know that one. Okay. Margaritaville is a real song. Because they they have a lot of... There's a a video on YouTube of somebody who goes all around the country visiting every Margaritaville in the country. Oh, like the airport kind of bar thing? Yeah. Okay. So Margaritaville is usually... It's like Bubba Gump Shrimp. It's usually like a a themed restaurant, a novelty restaurant that you might find at like the universal city, uh, universal studios, like city walk or whatever. Yeah. I see them at like airports right. every now and then. Right. It's like, Oh, Margaritaville, let's get a cheeseburger. Uh huh. And you have to order a, yeah, I'd like one cheeseburger in paradise, mm-hmm. please, but hold the pickle. <laughs> All right. Here's another one. You tell me if it's a real Jimmy Buffett song or not. Parrot on my shoulder. Um, Parrot on my shoulder. No, it's just a little too dry, but I don't know. Okay. Is it? No, it's a fake song. Okay. I just made it up. Okay. okay. All right. There's there's a, a, a funny bill, uh, mm-hmm. um, Penn and Teller thing about parrots on shoulders. <laughs> okay. All right. Here's another one. All right. Ready? Okay. A pirate looks at 40. Um, That might be real. That is real. Live at the record plant, 1974. Okay. Well, that's, yeah. That could be a bootleg. <laughs> okay, really. All right. Okay, here's another one. Boss thinks I'm wasted. That sounds real. And, yeah. the, and, the, and if it's not real, you should so write that song. Boss thinks I'm wasted. <laughs> Boss thinks I'm wasted. He don't know what I tasted. <laughs> but I can tell you right now it was good. <laughs> All right, that is not a real Jimmy Buffett it song. It should just be made a real up. Mike Booty song. It should be a Mike Booty song. <laughs> okay. You know what? I saw, I saw a uh, yeah. I saw a little video on the internet. Yeah. Called "Boss Thinks I'm Wasted." There was this teacher. <laughs> oh my was, gosh, that was the most tragic thing I've ever seen. It reminded me of Mike. Uh, the and... teacher shows up drunk for the first day of school, <laughs> and the boss thinks she was wasted. <laughs> okay. So they got the cops to come in. And they're like, so what you drinking? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> and boy, does it go downhill from there. <laughs> All right, here's another one. Okay, are you ready? Good hesitations. Good, good, good hesitations. Um, that sounds... Good hesitations. That's so fucked up, that sounds real. <laughs> it's fake. I just oh. made it up. I just made it up. All right, you're doing terrible at this, but no, I'm no, doing really I'm, well I'm, at creating I'm, fake Jimmy Buffett songs. I'm half and half. You're you're a great AI for 
<laughs> I should be. <laughs> Jimmy Buffett's always the boss thinks I'm wasted. This is uh-huh. awesome. Okay, so Paul just said, um, a really good Jimmy Buffett song that wasn't a Jimmy Buffett song is Escape, the Pina Colada song. That that was, uh, who was that? Warren, I can't remember. No, is, is that Barry Manilow? No, it's not Barry Manilow. It's uh, Ru- Rupert Holmes. Rupert Holmes is the one who sung. It's like, do you like Pina Colada? If you is like Pina Colada. That's not Barry Manilow? Are getting caught in the rain. No, that's not. Oh. No. All right. Okay, let's do one more. Let's do the one more. The imagery of um of uh Margaritaville is yeah. so wonderful. I you know what's awesome about it? It's not a good time. No. And that's what I like about it. There's conflict in Margaritaville. And yeah. uh we we we're sort of talking a lot. Um we were sitting in the spa today. We got mm-hmm. massages today. And um happy endings. And and uh I wish. Um <laughs> but uh, there was a um we were reading magazines. I was sort of sitting in the little foyer area, holding room, reading magazines, mm-hmm. and just looking at everybody smiling. This is my house, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And just thinking, like, I hate magazines. I hate magazine articles. Mm-hmm. Every nobody's, Nobody has conflict. Nobody has trials. I mean, they might. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, well, we just couldn't figure out a color. You know, they're, they're basically like what they called on the internet about 10 years ago white people problems and um what magazines were you reading again just like um there was some kind of thing about like homewood living or something oh well you're reading the wrong magazines well i mean yeah granted it wasn't like Mm -hmm. you know a national magazine it was just sort of like a a local thing yeah but it's i mean do people like magazine articles um not that i know of you always hear about um people writing freelance for magazines Uh like a lot of like authors that's kind of how they make their day-to-day living is just by publishing magazine articles Mm -hmm. but nobody that i know of reads magazines uh gets magazine subscriptions um it it seems to me like the only time i ever see people reading magazines is like when they're waiting to get a haircut yeah but but it's 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 like when i I look at them and just kind of peruse through the articles or whatever there's just like well, it was a struggle to buy the house, and we had to like really watch our our finances. But we got a good deal with the bank, and we bought the house of our dreams. And it's just sort of like mm-hmm. there's no like, oh my god, we we lived on this the street. We lost a, a a kid to disease while we saved up. You know, there's no good story, and. Uh, well, I want to create a Midnight Citizen magazine. You should. I think it'd be good. I think it'd be good. Yeah, that's all about me kind of creating the perfect studio. Well, and there will be a lot of conflict on there. There is a lot of conflict. There will be. There will be. Um, okay. Are we still playing the game? Uh, do one more. Do you want to try a couple more or one do more? Do a couple more. Okay, okay, okay. All right, here's one. Are you looking at a big list of Jimmy Buffett? I am. Okay. I am. All right. Banana Republics. I miss that store. Uh <laughs> that doesn't sound like a Jimmy Buffett song. That is a real Jimmy Buffett song. <laughs> Banana Republics. Okay. <laughs> Here's the next one. Jay Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> All these are my Jason. <laughs> Jay Cruz. Like a like a cruise what, ship. When you're doing a J. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> exactly. if, if it's not real, then it should be a real one. Yeah. J J Cruz is what I just made up. Okay. You yeah. should so have boss. Don't. What was it? Boss. 
no, doesn't know yeah, I'm wasted. Ball, boss don't know I'm drinking. Boss, boss don't, don't know, know I'm, wasted. I'm wasted. And J. Cruz is so going to be your single. Your double A. Oh, yeah, single. totally. Boss don't know I'm wasted in J. Cruz. Garrett Scone. <laughs> <laughs> Garrett Scone. Bring that back. Yeah, definitely. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm my gonna God. Write, I'm going to write that song tonight. I love the idea of like. You know how Jimmy Buffett was like kind of the guy who wrote all about the beach and he kind of created a whole lifestyle. I want to create like a whole lifestyle and world around like the mall of the 1990s. I think you I think you should. I think I the mall with yeah. the radio stations that advertise for the mall. Yeah. I want to make a song about uh, like Manchu walks. Or, you know, Orange Julius. Suncoast video. Orange Julius. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, man. Don't pirate my Suncoast, man. Yeah, that'd be good. That that <laughs> the Sun Coast, yeah, yeah, the Sun Rays. Mm-hmm. Sun Rays is a really good band. Have you ever heard of them? No, I have not. Oh man, um, you should look into the Sun Rays. Is Jason that like spelled S U N R A S? R A Y S. R A Y S. Okay, the I, Sun I Rays. It was different. Okay, all right. Well, I, I'll I'll try that out. Um, yeah, you'll yeah. love it. Yeah. All right, man. Well, we got to wrap up here. Paul, it's been great having you, buddy. Yeah, definitely. Paul uh, says, well, he hasn't said anything in a while. Paul, we've been uh, we've been sipping a little scotch called Monkey Shoulder. Yeah, tonight. I know. I know you, uh, as always happens, oh you God. bring over like a little bit that of scotch. That is an embarrassing amount. And I've, I know. You brought over a little bit of scotch and we drank like damn near the whole bottle. I'm not even going to bring that home. This is embarrassing. I'm not even going to bring Oh, no. Take home. it home. If, no, you, if you leave it no. here, I'm going to drink all of it tonight. That's okay. If if if, if yeah. it's here, I can, I can yeah. say, yeah, we had a couple of sips. Okay. <laughs> So yeah, I'm gonna leave that here and for a few days, yeah, and then yeah, yeah. I'll bring home what's left. Yeah, and, uh, I'm not about to. Uh, but you know, I don't feel like I drink that much. Oh well, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll keep it, and I, I'll tell you what, I'll, uh, you know, I'll bring it to you. Excellent. Okay, definitely. Paul, have a good night, buddy. Yeah, definitely. And uh, let's do the good, the bad, the ugly. So yeah, soon. definitely make some chili and watch the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's and, uh, that is a fantastic idea. And cigars. Does Paul do cigars? Yeah, uh, are you, does, uh, does Paul? Paul, do you do cigars? I can't remember. Is he on? Is he still yeah. on? <laughs> I caught the name as you poured it. Obviously, it's a terrible scotch. Yeah, no, obviously, it's a terrible Wait, scotch. Wait, what is he talking about? No, he's joking. Oh. Monkey Shoulder, the original blended malt scotch whiskey. Blended just means like, well, we had a few. This so we is blended it. in Pell City, Alabama. No, it's not. You a lie. <laughs> In the lush waters of Lake Logan Martin. <laughs> He's a lie. That's a that's a Scottish scotch. That's the real <laughs> It's real a Scottish deal. scotch. Real Does scotch, all scotch yeah. have to come from Scotland? I don't know, but Is that um, a law of just like, like all bourbon? bourbon has to be come from Kentucky? I don't know. Yeah. Uh that's that's something I wouldn't mind looking into. Yeah. Um But no, to answer your question, excuse me, hmm? Paul uh loves scotch. Right, and oh. loves cigars. Oh. Um, Paul has invited me over many a time and given me free cigars. Well, we're, let's return the favor yeah. in the next uh, two, three weeks. Yeah. When it gets, it's it's got to get nice enough to where we can just sort of plan on it, yeah. knowing that yeah. like, uh, and Paul's got to be nimble enough to yeah. be like, I can do it Thursday, Friday. And uh, I will say, by the way, Paul is watching with Jody. Oh, so, is Jody there? You know Jody, yeah, of jo- I know Jody, Jody. yeah, Paul's you, wonderful wife. Uh, yeah. Jody and Paul would be surprised at how much we um, mention mm-hmm. Jody in just our casual conversation around the house. We love Jody. <laughs> You'll just go around the house talking about Jody. No, all day? We'll, we'll often talk about Jody. It's like, okay. oh yeah, blah blah blah. 
<laughs> so uh, one time, uh, Alex, it was Christmas Eve, and Alex said, hey, do you mind if uh, I came over tonight? It's like, yeah, sure. And it's like, do you mind if I brought like 12 people <laughs> at midnight? It's like, sure. <laughs> oh, that was Christmas a couple of years ago, right? A couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. It was uh, Christmas uh, night. Yeah. And Jody right. came by. Yeah. And uh, along with a million other people, mm-hmm. and we, we had to get dining room chairs dragged yeah. over the backyard. And it was one of the nicest Christmases. And yeah. I kicked myself for Stephanie just not being around to enjoy the one of the first kind of backyard nights yeah. with a massive crowd. And Jody was there just being charming and sweet. Yeah, that was a fantastic night. I remember that incredibly well. Oh, that was such a good time. Yeah, I mean, I think I got home at like 3.30. Uh, yeah, we did yeah. stay up till about like 3 that, or yeah. 4 in the morning. And yeah. I was... When, when Alex called, like, I don't know, around 11 or yeah. 11.30, I was actually in bed. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, man, let's do it. Let's do it. I'll, Isn't that crazy I'll, that, I'll like, you know, because when I think back on that night, I don't think, I don't remember a single thing we talked about. We probably talked about, oh, we talked I think, like, licorice pizza just come out. And so some of us were maybe talking about that. But... Isn't it amazing, though, when you think about these really long nights that you have with people where you talk long into the night? You don't remember a single thing I that do. you talked about, but you just remember about the times. I do remember the oh, times. Oh, you, you, you actually remember what I, we talked I, about? I remember talking about, you know, lot, lots of film things. You yeah. Know, just sort of yeah. film theories and music theories and just kind of talking about, you know, just things about our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about Christmas, kind of what you do at Christmas. What did you do at Christmas growing up? I'm always interested in what... What people's birthdays were like when they were like, you know, six, eight, nine, ten, yeah. twelve, yeah. kind of thing. I'm always interested in that. Yeah. And, you know, what their Christmases were like because yeah. Christmas is, for the most part, with people that I know, it's generally been a very positive thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we talked about, you know, Jody. We, um, I, so I did reiterate a lot about how I wish uh, Stephanie could have been here. And yeah. um, it was just a great time. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, yeah. And I have some photos from it. Definitely. All right. Well, we got a record of what we talked about tonight, so that's good. And Paul was with us. I'm, I'm so Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, this is a lot of fun. We should do this again. Yeah, we'll do it. I know. If it's going to be hard to do a podcast again by myself. Oh, you'll be fine. I know. I know. So anyway. Um, yeah, but we'll do more of these things. Uh, you know, we're, we're sort of building up a podcast studio over at your place. That's yes, what we're kind of hoping to do is just to create like an actual studio over there. That's, uh, kind of not weird and rudimentary like my office. Yeah. I mean, where you it, go there and you yeah. don't have a, yeah, you know, you don't have to manage chaos for an hour. Exactly. All right, man. Well, thank you so much, uh, everybody for joining us here tonight on the midnight citizen, mm-hmm. such as it was, this has been a, uh, um, I didn't mean it for it to be like this tonight, um, but it turned out really well. Um, Dave was just going to come over to get like a drive from me of some uh, of some audio, and we ended up just talking yeah. longer than the night. So this well, we great. do that a lot. We do yeah, that. we we do that. Usually happens. And Paul kind of came in with some magic too. It was like a little exactly. a little, um like Rod from The Price Is Right <laughs> or Andy Dick or whoever it was. On uh, is there any uh, parting advice you want to give the nice people at home? You're talking to Paul? Yeah. Or anybody, I mean, I'm going to put this up on the internet for oh, people uh, to listen to yeah, for years the, to come. So Yeah, I guess just yeah. talk hard. Okay. <laughs> All right. Good night. Thank you so much. And we'll fade the music up as we go out. <laughs>